I remember the date well. It was March 14th this year. And of course, you realize March 14th, 314, that was National Pi Day. That's the mathematical formula, that, that pie, not the, not the good stuff you eat, but the, the other pie. And if you remember, it's 3.14. Well, I was at CV High School uh, in a history class that day, and a girl comes in, and, and she writes on the board the number pi out to 50 decimal places from memory. Now, if you remember pi, it just, it just randomly goes on. There's no repeating pattern. And I thought, wow, that's impressive. Next period, a boy comes in. He writes it out from memory to 86 decimal places. And I checked it. I looked it up. Sure enough, every number was correct. Uh, I think the record is some high school student in Brooklyn uh, back in the 70s that memorized it out to 4,000 places. And he could do it backwards, too. Uh, you know, and I got to thinking about that why are these students spending so much time memorizing that? I mean, what do you do with that? Except on National Pi Day, write it up on the board. And that's about it. I thought, how much more worthy to memorize valuable things? You know, Bible tells us to remember certain things. Don't forget the works of the Lord. How about memorizing his word? How much more value is there? Well, this morning we're going to look at Paul is talking to Timothy. We're in 2 Timothy. We'll continue our study. And Paul is going to tell Timothy to remember. So stand with me as we turn our Bibles to 2 Timothy, 2 chapter. We pick up at verse 8. Here Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but that the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we just come to you. Your word isn't bound. And we treasure it. And Lord, help us to remember your works. Help us to remember your goodness. Help us to remember the cross and what Jesus did. May we follow your servant's instruction here to remember Jesus Christ. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The word remember means to fix in mind. To have a mental grasp, to recollect, to, to, to be mindful. And, and Timothy is to remember Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, it's in the present tense. So Paul's saying to Timothy, uh, Timothy, just don't do this one time, but do it all the time. It's to be a continuous thing, remembering Jesus Christ and who he is. 
As we look at verse 8, he says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. Now, that's an unusual kind of wording. Jesus Christ of the seed of David. It's an unusual command. We see it only one other place that Paul will use it uh, to the Romans. If you look at Romans 1, let me just have you turn back, but hold your place in Timothy. In Romans chapter 1, Paul writes a marvelous introduction to his great letter. And he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what a marvelous introduction. But we see that phrase again, the seed of David. Uh, unusual. Uh, Dr. John Phillips says commentators have wondered why Paul mentioned David here. And Dr. Phillips goes on to give some good insight, and I'm going to pull from uh, some of the things that he brings to light. So we're going to look at why David, how Jesus will match that, because there's much uh, we can draw from that. You know, David was a great servant. David was a mighty soldier. And David was also a simple shepherd. And Jesus Christ is all of those in a greater way than David. So let's take a look at these. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Jesus, the servant. That's the first thing that's going to stand out. Jesus Christ, the seed of David. And let's take a look at Jesus, the servant. You know, David saw himself as God's servant. In Psalm 18, if you look at the title of that psalm, it'll say a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. And if you read through many of the Psalms written by David, we will find David will often refer to his position as a servant. Psalm 31, make thy face to shine upon thy servant. In Psalm 86, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. And then in Psalm 89, God will say of David, I have made a covenant with my chosen I have sworn unto David my servant. So he was a servant of God. And when we look at Jesus, Jesus is the perfect servant. In Mark 10, I love the uh, story Mark gives us of the disciples. They're walking along, they're talking, and, and, and James and John come up to Jesus and they ask, Jesus, can we sit on your right-hand side and your left-hand side when you are in glory? They asked for the seats of honor. And Mark tells us the other ten were really displeased 
unhappy with those two. I think they were kind of jealous that they didn't ask first. That John and James kind of beat them to the punch. And, and Jesus took that opportunity to teach them a lesson. He pointed out, you know, the Gentiles, they exercise lordship and, and, and authority, but it's not going to be like that with you. You need to be servant of all. And then Jesus makes the statement as he concludes that moment. He says, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to be a minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Be a servant. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 says of Jesus, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And when we look in the Gospels, we see Jesus serving. Uh, Mark in his Gospel Right away in the first chapter, uh, Mark will tell us that Jesus will preach in the synagogue, goes home to uh, Peter's place, heals his mother-in-law. Then that evening as the Sabbath ended and the sun sets, uh, Mark tells us when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. Everybody was there. And he, Jesus healed many that were sick. And cast out many devils. Uh, so he served people. At the end of his ministry, that's the start. At the end of his ministry, at the Last Supper in John 13, remember Jesus gets up, takes the towel, the water basin, and washes the feet of the disciples. And that included Judas. I mean, how would you like to wash the feet of someone you know is going to betray you and get you crucified? And he did that for Judas. And he says to them, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that ye should do as I've done unto you. Jesus is all about being a servant. From beginning to end. A servant. Every day touching the lives of people. Serving the Father. Serving us. And being a servant took him to the cross. Now, last week I pointed out it is rare, in fact, almost non-existent for a child to say, when I grow up, I want to be a farmer. Kelly, did your brothers ever do that? Yeah. See, her dad's a farmer, so they're the exception. Rare for kids to say that. And we looked at the farmer. It's rare to hear kids today say, when I grow up, I want to be a servant. You ever heard that? No, that's, we just don't. 
But there's no greater status, no greater honor or calling than to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul, when he wrote to the Philippians, he begins this letter, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. James, in his letter, the half-brother of Jesus, begins his letter, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, in his second letter, will say, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And Jude, another brother of Jesus, Jude, the servant, the doulos, the slave of Jesus Christ. Kind of a pattern there, isn't there? You see, they sought an honor to be a servant of Christ. In fact, it would probably be good for us each morning before we head out to pray, Jesus, help me to be your servant today. Because when we serve others, we are serving Jesus. At home, be the servant. Help with the meal, do the chores, clean up whatever needs to be done. Be a servant. You know, my wife is real good. A lot of times we get ready for dinner, she will always have my glass of iced tea ready. And half the time when I get the drinks, I just get mine. But she has them both out. As a neighbor, be a servant. In the marketplace, be a servant. At work, be a servant. I mean, you may have some orangutan at work, but be a servant no matter who they are. Jesus did. Jesus did. He served Judas. At church, be a servant. Well, I appreciate our people we have serving. Remember a few Sundays ago, I was coming back from the other building and and, of course, I dragged the milk over and had a couple of them think a thing of orange juice and came in, set it on the bench there and uh, had to walk down the hall, get something. And, and one of our members came up and said, Pastor, do you need this put in the refrigerator? I said, yeah, I do. Thank you. And they went and did that. And I, I thought about that. I said, boy, that, that's pretty good. That's a servant heart. Cleaning. You know, everyone that cleans. Uh, I mean, that's serving us, but you're serving Jesus when you do that. When you get our church ready. Uh, those that help set up Wednesday night. I get here and everything's pretty well ready. Coffee's on. Plates are out. Children's ministry. When you serve little ones, you are serving Jesus. And we appreciate everyone that does that. You know, we have so many today demanding their civil rights. Where's the servant attitude? And that's our call. Be the servant. That person stands out. 
Jesus the servant. Remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David. What else was David? David was a soldier. Uh, Herbert Lockyer says David was courageous as a champion and a great soldier. And of course, uh, that's going to come when we uh, look in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. When David will go against Goliath. That's when it begins to stand out. His military ability. That he was a military man. Now at the time, he's just a youth. But if you remember, Goliath was a giant. Bible tells us he was at least 10 feet tall, maybe 12, depending on how long the cubit is. But I think he's closer to 12. He was a huge guy. I mean, seven foot people look big. Can you imagine somebody 10 to 12 feet tall? And Goliath was. The armor uh, that he wore on himself weighed 150 pounds alone that Goliath put on. His spearhead, uh, the, the, the shaft was like a weaver's uh, stick, thick. The head of it weighed at least 15 pounds, the spearhead. In the shop put today, I think it's eight pounds that those guys toss. And they really work hard at it. Uh, so this guy was huge. And here David says, uh, how come this guy's defying the God of Israel? And nobody's doing anything about it. He says, let me go out there. And, and I like what Saul said. He says, thou art not able to go against the, this Philistine to fight with him. Thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. King Saul says, you're no match. David said, I'll go. And as, remember Saul tried to give him his armor? David put it on and said, this isn't going to work. Probably didn't fit him. Probably too big. Wasn't used to it. And all David did, he went out in his shepherd clothes and a sling and five stones. He only needed one. And we know the rest of the story. Goliath died that day. David took his head off. He would go on to be a military leader. He would defeat the Philistines. He will take Jerusalem, make it his capital. He would expand the borders of his kingdom. And, and the people would say, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. So he was a military genius. And his courage came from the Lord. And yet, because he was a man of war, God did not let him build the temple. You know, David wanted to build it. He got everything ready for it. And he told the people, But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war, and hast shed blood. And that was given to Solomon. Solomon, his son, uh, would, would build it. But David had everything ready to go. All the resources, he paid for it. Now, when we look at Jesus the soldier, John Phillips says, what a magnificent warrior 
is our Lord Jesus. He has defeated every enemy. He met Satan in the wilderness and came out the victor. He refused the temptations. He didn't turn the stones into bread. He didn't jump off the pinnacle of the temple. He did not bow down and worship Satan to take the easy way out. Demons fled before him. Every demon-possessed person that encountered Jesus Christ went away demon-free. They had to obey his command. When he said, peace, be quiet, come out, they did. Every disease and physical disability was defeated. The leper was healed. The crippled walked. The blind were given sight. And death is conquered by Christ. The widow at Nain brought back her dead son. Jairus' daughter. And of course, Lazarus, dead four days. Jesus simply had to say, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. And because of the cross and resurrection, Paul can say, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? There is none for them. Jesus can deal with every enemy we have. He can deal with anyone that stands against God's people. Don't forget that. Especially in our day, our time. Just stand with Jesus. You know, we got a lot of people throwing around the phrase, on the right side of history. You know, I'm not too worried about that. I just want to stand with Jesus, and I know everything else is going to fall out to where it needs to be. That's it. And then look at his titles. He is the captain of salvation. He's the only name by which we are saved. And he gives complete salvation. You know, that's the promise of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, anyone, believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then Jesus affirms that truth in John 14. But Thomas will ask, how do we get to the Father? Jesus will say to Thomas, Thomas, I am the way. I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. He's the captain of salvation. There's no other name we're going to be saved. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew, a Gentile, or who you are, a Muslim. If you want to get saved, you're going to have to call upon Jesus. That's it. He is the Lion of Judah. Revelation 5, the Apostle John. 
there's a book that needs to be opened. And it looks like no one has the ability to open it. John begins to weep, and one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And John turns, and he sees a lamb. Well, that's another sermon. A lamb as though it had been slain. And Christ is both. He is a lamb in his death, and he is a lion in his resurrection. Lockyer says he exhibited majesty yet meekness, sovereignty and suffering, severity and goodness. Brought them together. The Jews were looking for a Messiah that's going to be king. They did not see the suffering servant that had to come first. But because of the crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus the Lamb is also Jesus the Lion. And when he returns, it will be as a lion, the Judah of Lion. The Lion of Judah. I mean, the noblest of animals is the lion. It's called the king of beasts. And Jesus wears that title because it was the image of a lion that was traced on the ensign, the banner of the tribe of Judah. And David was of the tribe of Judah, and Jesus comes from him of the tribe of Judah, the noblest of the tribes. The lion is a symbol of his ability, his dignity, his might. And when he comes back, we're going to see him as the lion of Judah. Now, now lions are nothing to mess with. How many have read the Chronicles of Narnia? I want to see. All right. Good. You know, Lewis wrote this in 1950. Wrote it, began for his children, and took him some time, so grandchildren. But in the Chronicles of Narnia, I didn't find out about this until I went to seminary at Southwestern when I started there. And one of the theology professors says, you guys need to read this. So I did. It's pretty good. It says, this teaches you theology. And for those of you not familiar, uh, the first, first, it's a book, a series of books. The first one is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That's where you start. And it's a story of uh, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. They're brothers and sisters. They step through a magic wardrobe into Narnia, once the peaceful land of talking beasts. Dwarfs and giants, fawns, but now frozen into winter by the evil white witch. And so they go through the wardrobe and they stumble into Narnia. A magical place, but, but it's cursed. It's always winter and never Christmas. 
and they get lost, and pretty soon they come across Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And this is the part of the story I want you to pick up, where we're going to pick up. They're talking with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. They bring him into, the beavers bring him into their home, show hospitality, prepare a meal, uh, fresh fish and boiled potatoes. And they're talking about the white queen. That's the wicked queen. She has captured Mr. Tumnus. And they're trying to figure out how they can get him back. And it says, it's no good, son of Adam, said Mr. Beaver. No good you're trying of all people. But now that Aslan is on the move, oh yes, tell us about Aslan, said several voices at once. For once again, that strange feeling like the first signs of spring, like good news, had come over them. Who is Aslan? asked Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver, why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. But not often here, you understand. Never in my time or my father's time. But the word has reached us that he has come back. He's in Narnia at this moment. He'll settle the white queen all right. It is he now, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. She won't turn him into stone too, said Edmund. Lord, love you, son of Adam. What a simple thing to say, answered Mr. Beaver with a great laugh. Turn him into stone. If she can stand on her two feet and look him in the face, it'll be the most she can do and more than I expect of her. No, no. He'll put her all to rights, as it says in old rhyme in these parts. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. When he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You'll understand when you see him. But shall we see him? Asked Susan. Why, daughter of Eve, that's why I brought you here for. I'm to lead you where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. It... it is he a man? asked Lucy. Asn't a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he'd be a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie. Make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And of course, Aslan is the hero. The king, the lion, 
that makes everything right. You see, Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he is the Lion of Judah. And to bring peace, you're going to have to have might. You're going to have to defeat the enemy and rule in complete power. And the Lion of Judah will do that. Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, the servant, the soldier. Don't forget him. What's precious is Jesus never forgets us. That thief on the cross, in his last words, he said, Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, said, Verily, I say unto you, this day you'll be in paradise with me. In fact, let me reword that. The Bible says, Thou Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That's the important thing. We're with Jesus. Because that's paradise being with him. Don't forget Jesus. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. Remember Jesus Christ. Bob, I'm going to have you come back up to lead us. Jesus paid it all, and he did. Let's stand as we get ready to sing our invitation. Is Jesus calling one to be a servant? Jesus needs servants. Jesus needs hearts that given to him to follow after him, to be servant of all. Maybe you need to come. Maybe you're facing some enemies and strongholds and you need the line of Judah to stand with you. He will. You come. The altar's open. You need to go to prayer. You need to come to me. I'll pray. Let's sing. Jesus paid it all.